Hello, hello, hello. This is another episode of We Like It So What. I am Eric Bethel, and I'm here with Jamal Murphy. Jamal, how you doing, brother? I'm all right, man. Chilling like a villain on penicillin. Penicillin, like Matt Dillon or Kevin Dillon or Carl Brothers as Dillon. (laughs) Dillon! (laughs) You son of a bitch. Or Charles S. Dutton as Dillon from Alien 3. Yep. We hitting all the deep cuts here, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, so in today's episode, we're going to uh, talk about some of the latest uh, movie news and some of the dirt, if you will. Um, but it was also a, a momentous occasion for you and I, Murph. We attended our first Monday Night Raw in 23 years this past Monday. Uh, oh, I thought you were going to say it was our wedding anniversary. Well, no, no I wasn't going to say that on air. Oh, okay. Damn, oh. You know, just... Spilled the beans there, brother. (laughs) (laughs) How was Monday Night Raw live in person at the Greensboro Coliseum, legendary Greensboro Coliseum, after 23 years? Well, you know, it made me say, (laughs) when I got there, because I know it's been a while since we've been been there. And I can remember the days going back during the the Attitude Era when... Monday Night Raw and wrestling was at, it, at its peak it's popularity. apex. See, it was, it was very interesting kind yeah. of being back in there. It was, you know, very warm in that arena. It was. I probably had the wrong choice of outfit that night, I'm, I'm going to say. But you look very stylish. Yeah, I, I appreciate you, you, you saying you, that. You look silky smooth, my man. Only only fabric touches your ass 100%, 100% <laughs> Egyptian silk. Looking homely as I can That's look. right. <laughs> yeah, it was nice being there with... You know, you, our, our other counterpart, Terry, yes. our brother from another mother. Absolutely. Uh, Luke was there, Luke Patterson. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Mr. Luther. And, uh, yeah, big thanks to him for, uh, you know, inviting us along, getting yes. tickets and everything. Yes, yes. Much Big props to uh, to Mr. Patterson for uh, tagging us, well, us tagging along with <laughs> tag, him. Tagging us in, tagging, brother. Tagging us in for the hot tag, brother. Yeah, I'll, I'll say he's unofficially the the fourth member of a uh, we like it well, so well. F- the four horsemen, my yeah. man. Yeah, four horsemen riding strong. With the four horsemen of podcasting, brother. That's right, brother. Okay, yeah. So, yeah, I guess we can do like a basic breakdown of like the experience, the show. Let's do it. So, yeah, what were your thoughts on this episode of Monday Night Raw Live, dude? I had a lot of fun, man. I was I was so giddy, even just you know walking walking up to the arena. Because, again, you know, the last time I'd done that, it was 23 years ago when you and I went to saw Monday Night uh, went to go see Monday Night Raw. It was the uh, This Is Your Life Rock episode where yep. Mick Foley brought out the rocks, um, people from his past and all this other kind of shit. Um, and that was fun. But, yeah, man, it was it was an absolute blast. And it was – I, I love the new stage setup where it's just a giant LED screen. Yep. Giant, giant um, Titan Tron. Giant Titan Tron. And we had some really good seats. I mean, we were we were ringside. Yeah, I would say in terms of being embedded in the technical side of it, we were right there. We were sitting right we were beside there. the commentary crew, right beside the ring announcer. Yeah, we could see where the hard cameras were. Yeah. We were right in that little sweet spot. Yeah, well, you know. Timekeeper, ring bell, ring announcer. We were right there at it. So, we, yeah, we were able to be close enough Let's say not, we were front row, but not so close that we could see like directly 
in front of right. where the wrestlers are and how things play out. Yeah, there was a turnbuckle in our way. Yes. But yeah, I'm not going to look look a gift horse in the mouth and say, oh, these are shitty seats. Oh, we had some really good seats. They were I good mean, seats our, yeah. our seats were so good. Chad Gable pulled out a deep wedgie right in front of me and Luke. I was like, Jesus oh. Christ. Oh. I mean, when, when you're that close, you see everything, man. You were, you were right there as Edge grabbed uh, the two chairs for the concerto. Edge grabbed a chair right in front of me. Yeah. I was like, wow, that's, that's pretty cool, you know. So yeah, it's, it's interesting to look at the show live as a participant, as a spectator, versus when you're watching it on television you know, as a spectator, oh, yeah. vast differences it's a in totally terms of totally different animal. The experience, like when when you're at home, you can you can say you can say, okay, well, this this segment sucks, this match mm-hmm. sucks. I'm gonna change the channel, go take a piss, get you something know, to eat. I'm gonna, you know, maybe see what's happening with the game that's on right now. Yeah, you have that option as a as a television viewer. Now, when you're in the arena, of course, you can you can get up at your leisure. Yeah, but. There's always that notion of okay, if I if I get up, am I going to miss something? Right, and you also see how the sausage is made. And when I say that, meaning, so if, if you're there live and you have a superstar come out, they'll stand in the ring, they'll, they'll have their entrance, they'll stand in the ring, they'll go to commercial break. Well, during that commercial break, that superstar is standing in the ring, usually in the dark, just waiting, you know, for his time cue to he, her, his or her time cue to come, you know, get ready. Come back in three, two, and they're back in character. They'll yep. cut their music back on. It's a very interesting production, you know, in terms of how everything is set up. Everything is on is on a time frame. They have a big clock underneath the hard camera, so the whoever's in the ring they can look at it. The referees can look at it. They can gauge how much time they have left to you know, in their promo or their match. So, uh, in terms of production, it's it's a very it's it's a very cool experience being there, seeing how they do everything once the lights comes down or once they go to commercial, so right. to speak. I always thought that was interesting in terms of when they go to commercial, what happens. Right. Because when someone says, oh, yeah, this match starts right now, and then they go to commercial. Right, yeah. And yeah, then yeah. when they get back, it's like, okay, now the match is starting, so uh-huh. what happened in between then? Right. And now we, we kind of get a peek behind the curtain, so to speak, in terms right. of what these wrestlers are doing you know, when they go to commercial. But also, it kind of works in a negative way because you're seeing like, okay, this wrestler comes to the ring, they do the big entrance, and then they go to commercial, and then they just they can't really do anything. They, they either just stand in the ring while they show uh, some stuff on the Titantron. Yeah. They might show like a highlight from last week, or they might show a promo, or um, they're promoting merch. They'll put the camera on the crowd and yeah, a little crowd participation. That's right. You know, they they do these things to kind of kill time in between the commercial breaks. Or the superstar, they might you know get out of the ring, talk to the ring crew, go over to the announcers. You know, they might get notes or something fed to them by someone from the from the ring crew. I mean, you, you never know, you know what's go, what exactly is going on in detail, but it's just cool just sitting there and just seeing what goes on during commercial breaks. But also, you have to you can take into account. That Raw, just like SmackDown, just like AEW Dynamite or any other program, is on a a television network. It's a show. So they have sponsors they have to appease. They have commercials they have to play. So you have people that are invested. It's on a network. Networks have sponsors. Networks play commercials. 
So just like any other television show, you have to break it down like it's it's a television show the same as any other. There are characters, there's there's storylines, there's a script that has to be followed, you know, more or less. So as an audience member, you you have to take those things into account. It's like okay, wow, like well, they're going to this, you know, five minutes worth of commercials. But if I'm at home watching it, okay, yeah, as a commercial, I can go up and go go to the restroom, go to you know, get a sandwich, whatever. Mm-hmm. You don't have to really kind of play into, you know, watching the commercial as a as a television viewer. Yeah. But yeah, it's interesting to see to see the experience and kind of compare and contrast as, you know, someone watching at, at home versus someone watching in the arena. And because I, I was thinking like, man, are the are the Pro Bowls gonna gonna play out the same? Will will we be able to hear them? You can hear everything fairly well. Yeah. You know, as a as an audience member. Yeah. And you can see how the interesting entrances play out, the pyro, the lights, everything. So yeah, pyro catch you off guard too, man, because because both times Cody's pyro went off, I mean, it scared the shit out of both me and Luke. Yeah, <laughs> like damn it. <laughs> I felt like yeah, my I probably lost a couple of uh, hearing points. Yeah, I think my eyebrows might have been singed off during that <laughs> Seth Rollins promo. Yeah, but yeah, it's was, it was very cool being being in the arena and being you know being a part of the audience of Monday Night Raw. It was. Now, I will say, if this was AEW Dynamite, I probably would have had a better time. Oh, get out. You know me. I'm oh, AEW a- Mark. I'm an AEW Mark, brother. I got to <laughs> I gotta defend the brand. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm just kidding. But, yeah, it would. But, you know, not, not to get into the stand war buffoonery, as I like to say, but, yeah, it would be interesting to see how their production works versus WWE because, WWE is obviously, you know, multi-million dollar production. It's top notch. And they're able to kind of, let's say some, sometimes they're able to make, you know, chicken salad out of chicken shit. Yes. In terms of how a match may play out, camera botch or a camera mistake. There's always a way to edit it. Oh, yeah. There's always a way to work around it. Mm -hmm. If someone kind of gets injured, they kind of can focus away from that. Yep. So it would be interesting to see how these different wrestling companies kind of perform and how they kind of manage a live program. And for the most part, the crowd was into yeah. pretty much every match with the exception of Veer. <laughs> yeah, they should have veered away from, sure as hell from that match into something else. He's supposed to be a monster heel, no pop, no heat. And he beat... Uh, they went. They went for like for the cheap pop because yeah, the local yeah, local yeah, competitor. Yeah, he was a guy that was from Greensboro. He worked at Stamey's Barbecue. I know they said right down the street. Right it's down like, the street. It's, it's, it's across, across the street. The street. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, wait a minute, Stamey's is like is literally across the street from the Greensboro Coliseum. So Maybe he mean? meant the battleground location. <laughs> <laughs> Even then, that's not right down the street. <clears throat> that's a ways down yeah, the street. That's almost across town. It's like okay. okay. Yeah. Guy Bert yeah. Hansen, if yeah. that if that is your real name, he got his ass whooped. But but there again, there there was no pop and no heat for Veer. Nope. Like it, the crowd was quiet, and it's like, I get it. You know, you, you know, you get your you get this new monster heel in the ring, heel meaning bad guy for those who aren't in they don't know wrestling lingo. He beats up the jobber, which is this local guy who. Who came to the ring with no music, no fanfare, no nothing? Yeah, I, I didn't even know where he came from. I was like, what the hell? Oh yeah, who's this guy? Snuck out, snuck from out the back. Somewhere. Yeah, 
and Veer beat his ass. You know, the other guy had no offense at all. He got an elbow in. That was about it. Oh, well, yeah, I, well, yeah, I, yeah, I think you're right. He yeah. may have had one elbow, but he yeah, that was a, a move on him. Yeah, that was a shitty match. <laughs> yeah, but I think that's kind of by design too now because for those who've been following WWE, you know, Veer Mahan's debut has been long in the works. It's been months and months of Veer is coming to Monday Night Raw. I think this has been going on since October of last year. Yeah, a long time. So now Veer's recently made his debut, and it's like you're, you're kind of like, oh, okay. And we had a few that could have started with the Mysterios, and now they're kind of you know MIA. Mm-hmm. So we don't know if that's going to play out, or is he going to feud with someone else? So <laughs> that's yeah. kind of that's what you have to expect when you get a reaction for someone that's been teased. His debut has been teased for the longest. Mm-hmm. And I honestly think they, they didn't know what to do with him. No, they didn't know what to do with him. They, it's a guy's like, is he kind of hard to market in terms of being a heel or as a character? And he's Indian? Yeah. I think he's Indian. Yes, yes. Okay. Well, again, no pop, no heat. Nope. No go. So, yeah, we'll see how that <laughs> one plays out yeah. over the next few episodes of Raw. Yeah. But Overall, it was a fun show, man. It was it was a really fun show. There was even a dark match. Dark match is 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 the match after the main event, after the show goes off the air. They usually have um, a match between two of your high-level stars that are just for the audience to send the audience home happy, so to speak. Yeah, think of it uh, as an encore yes. at a concert. Same thing. Yep, and it was between... Seth freaking Rollins and Cody Rhodes. Yeah, you have, you have to say that freaking because apparently that's part of his, yeah. his ring name. Yeah, Seth, Seth freaking Rollins. Yeah. Good match. Yeah, it was good. Yeah. yeah. Sent the crowd home happy. Yeah, the, Cody got the, the baby face win. Yes, he did. Which if he were still in AEW, he would have gotten a lot of go away heat, oh, as they like to say. A lot of go away heat. And I think he's mentioned that before. I think he mentioned like the last time he was there in that city, he got a different reaction. There were, there were a lot of boos. Yeah. Yeah, but now he's babyface Cody, you know. Still same guy to me. Same, cuts promos the same way. So yeah, same way. Still that kind of trying but, to get that in, endearing re- reaction. Yeah, but crowd. he's got that WWE sheen on him now. Yeah. Still still got that shitty tattoo on that his neck. That is one of the worst tattoos and tattoo placements I've ever seen in my life. But hey, I don't know. He's the American nightmare. He, he thought it was a good idea at the, at the time, but it is not. Shitty tattoo. It's awful. Yeah, but hey, now I don't know. It's his logo, so yeah, it, hey, whatever works Whoa. for you, Cody. Yep. Even brought his AEW music with him. No, I think he's had that music for a while though. See, even since uh, he was in Ring of Honor. Really? Yeah. I thought he had that as soon as he went to AEW. No, I think it's it's been with him for. I'll a while. be damned. Okay. Well, cool. Whoa. Whoa. Yeah. <laughs> What's the lyrics? Here today, gone tomorrow, or whatever it is. Yeah, something like that. That's what it was for AEW, anyway. <laughs> yeah, but that was Monday Night Raw. We had a lot of fun. Yep, I would give it a, a good. You know, how many power slams would you? Give? How many power slams? I get? Yeah, give it a, a three. Out three of five. power slams out of five, brother. Okay. So it's mid. <laughs> no, like I said, look, looking back at it, watching it on TV as opposed to being there, it's yes, totally to different. Yeah, 
that three hours that you see on a Monday night flew by in a good two hours watching it on demand. Yes. Like, okay. Yep. I didn't have to sit through all these commercials, no breaks. That's right. Recaps. Now the recaps are still there. The awkward, very awkward, like, okay, this this person is up next. Mm-hmm. And they go to commercial and come back. You see now what was filling in the gaps between when that person came to the ring and when the match starts. Like, okay, wow. Yeah. This person's been in the ring for 20 minutes. Mm-hmm. You're standing there. Doing nothing. But yeah, as a wrestling fan, I I'm glad I was able to experience that. Same here. Seeing it live versus like being here, you know, watching it on TV. It's like, man, it's, a, it's an enjoyable experience. Now, when I yes. go back, yeah, prob- probably, maybe. Yeah. Maybe yeah, for SmackDown. See. Yeah, SmackDown. See what the differences are. Yeah. Yeah. I love how <laughs> Roman Reigns' ass showed up. At the beginning said and bounced. Acknowledge me and then brawled with Drew McIntyre for a bit and dipped. That's it. Hey, man, the Usos. Hey, man, and and. RK bro and Drew McIntyre. Yeah. They all said, all right, we're yeah. going to let this play out on SmackDown. They Tune were there for SmackDown. the opening segment, and that's it. That's, that's, it. that's, that's all, folks. That was all for them. <laughs> they got, probably got on the first flight out of PTI. Mm-hmm. So wherever, any town On to the next town, yeah. So, yeah, so we're going to go on the first flight out of here and take a quick break. We'll be back with more We Like It So What right after this. We are back with We Like It So What. And uh, folks, if you don't know, you should know. You can find us on Instagram at We Like It So What, all one word, also on Twitter. Feel free to drop in some likes, some comments, leave us some compliments, because who doesn't love a good compliment? Ain't that right, Jamal? That's right. Show you right. All right, so what else have we got going on in the world of, of news that you can use? Well, we've got some interesting topics for today's show. Uh, let's start off talking about the, uh, the uh, I guess, the, the, hullab- the, the hullabaloo. Was that a word? Hullabaloo? Yeah. Hullabaloo. That's going on with Fast 10 or Fast X. Okay, so I need to fast ten my seatbelts. You might have to. News. You okay. might have to for this story. So, so anyone who has uh, been a, a fan of the Fast and Furious franchise are probably familiar with the name Justin Lin. Justin Lin is a director of five of these movies. Uh, his first outing was the Fast and the Furious Tokyo Drift, uh, and then he directed the Fast. No, I'm sorry, Fast and Furious, which was the fourth movie. We're not even going to get into the timeline because these movies jump all over the fucking place. But after after uh, Fast and Furious, he directed Fast Five, which many, including myself, consider to be the best entry of the franchise. He also directed Fast Six and uh, Fast Nine, the Fast Saga, which I always hated that subtitle. I thought it was so fucking stupid. And he was also going to direct Fast Ten. Yep. Well, apparently, he has left the project, Jamal. Has he gone back to the Knicks? Oh, you, that's a different Lynn. That's Jeremy Lynn. Oh, what? Yeah, wrong guy. Oh, okay. Oh, oh, okay. Come on, Jamal. Sorry, I get my, get my lens mixed come on, up. Come on. Jeremy Lynn and Justin Lynn look nothing alike. I know that. Profiling son of a bitch. Hey. You ought to be ashamed of yourself. All right, I'm sorry. Yeah, just because so just, just we're both bald and black don't mean we look alike. 
Well, maybe in the eyes of the police, but that's a different story altogether. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> My apologies. <laughs> so, um, so they were a week into production. And Vin Diesel, who I follow on the gram, he posted a video, I think it was last week, of him and Justin Lin. And, and Vin Diesel was like, you know, we're, we're down week one of production. And he's asking Justin Lin, you know, how does he feel? And Justin Lin's like, I feel okay. And there was a sense of awkwardness to the video when I first saw it. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah, I, didn't think, I didn't think anything about the actual, you know, onset issues that were going on. But it, Justin Lin, looked, he looked uncomfortable in the video. Vin Diesel's like, how do you feel? Justin Lin's like, uh, I'm okay. And Vin Diesel's like, you know, do you think it'd be safe to say that this could be the best one? And Justin Lin very uncomfortably says, in my heart, I feel this could be the best one. And kind of gave a, a, a little shrug at the yeah. end. Cringe. Super cringe, Jamal. Yeah, I think he said, like, yeah, this this, this is going to be the, uh, the, the beginning of, you know, of the end or something like that. Super cringe. Well, apparently, Justin Lin uh, has had enough of Vin Diesel shit. And he walked. He left the production. So you would say he made a fast exit from the director's chair? Yes. Okay. I would say so. <laughs> That's what he did. Well, it's true. And this is the thing. He had been working on this movie since last year. He, I think he, he co-wrote the script. Uh, he had you know, been planning this since the, since uh, the release of Fast 9. And th- there's, some, there's some mixed messaging as far as whether or not this is going to be the last one or is 11 going to be the last one. Yeah, or are they going to take, take 10 and make it into two parts? Right. It seems, I mean, just, just end it at 10. Yeah. You know, because, I mean, look at all the shit they've been doing these past few movies. It's really straining credulity, you know what I'm saying, especially with what we saw in Fast 9, but. Anyway, yeah, I didn't see that movie. It's, it's worth watching just to see Vin Diesel's ego run amok. And more than likely, that's probably the main, um, that, that was the impetus for Justin Lin leaving this production. So uh, I've got an article from The Hollywood Reporter behind Justin Lin's Fast 10 breaking point. Uh Let me see if I can find the article here. So I'm just going to read this real quick. Directors have been replaced mid-production before. Bohemian Rhapsody, Solo, a Star Wars story being recent examples. Those, however, were incidents where filmmakers were fired. In the case of Fast 10, it was the director who had enough. Enough of the constantly changing script, enough of the process of making a fast movie, and enough of the managing from the movie's driving star and fellow producer, Ben Diesel, multiple sources tell The Hollywood Reporter. Lynn was handling writing duties on the movie and believed he had a locked script going into it. Universal, the, the film studio, and Diesel had other thoughts. A key location that had been secured was cut due to its Eastern Europe location amid the war in Ukraine, and the movie still hadn't cast one of its villains yet. And to our knowledge, that, that, that role still hasn't been cast. Oh. Well, we, we know of two so far. Jason Momoa and Charlize Theron. So I guess there's going to be another. As as yet unnamed uh, star. 
on okay. top of that, okay. on top of that, even as Lynn tried to draw lines in the sand, the studio said it would be sending a writer to London to polish dialogue for some of the actors. A move that was expected, but apparently not welcomed by Lynn at that time. The constantly moving target proved too much for the sec- for the seasoned Lynn, who on April 23rd had a major disagreement with Vin Diesel. The four-person meeting had begun with Diesel having new notes. It ended with a slammed door. Justin finally had enough and said, This movie is not worth my mental health, says one source. Both Lynn and Diesel declined to comment for this story. So when Justin Lin said he had had enough, this is probably what happened. Got the hell out of there. Ran out of there. This is really bizarre shit. And what's funny about this is that uh, last week, a couple of my friends and I, we were talking about, um, you know, the whole Fast and Furious film franchise and everything. And, the week, the weekend before that, we had sat down and we had watched Fast Nine. A few of my friends they they hadn't even seen it. I was like, "All right, I'll, I'll have it on Blu-ray. I'll bring it down. We'll watch this ridiculous shit because it's it's not by any means a great movie. Mm-hmm. It's fun to watch with people." Okay, so they watched it. We had a you know we had a blast watching it. All the ridiculous bullshit. They go to space and all this other shit. But there's one scene in particular in this fucking movie. Where you can tell, it's it's Vin Diesel, just just let him run wild. This this is something that Vin Diesel wanted, and he got away with it. There's a scene when they they have you know the the Toretto crew they have their hideout and whatnot, and um, the place gets infiltrated. The bad guys break in. You know John Cena's crew they break in. The Toretto crew they make their escape. They're in some kind of um, I don't know how to describe this fucking place, but it's, uh, I don't know if it's like an old submarine refueling station. I think that's what it is, like an old submarine refueling station. So they get away. Um, they're in this giant open in, uh, this, this silo with water down at the bottom. There's catwalks and whatnot and chains and shit. Uh, ladies, the last person to get away. Dom sees like 30 guys coming up and he shuts the door. Tells Letty, I love you or whatever horse shit. <clears throat> he said he, he fucking, it's like he gargles with rocks. So he shuts the door and Vin Diesel beats up 30 people. Oh. In superhuman fashion, I might add. Okay. Okay. Jamal? Like, are these are like, when you say 30 people, are these like 30 middle uh, schoolers? No, just 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 nameless henchmen, you know, cannon fodder, whatever. Thirty uh, high schoolers. No, just just regular old dudes who probably went in there knowing they were going to get their ass kicked. <laughs> so like thirty mer- mercenaries. Yeah, yeah, mercenaries. Some bum off the street. Booms. Oh. But check this out. And folks at home, I'm looking right. At Jamal, when I tell you this, okay, because I'm not bullshitting when I say this, Ben Diesel. Now, this isn't even Dom Toretto. Ben Diesel is breaking backs. He is he is picking grown ass men up, gorilla press style, throwing them, throwing them like 
like <laughs> dirty laundry in a hamper. I'm not kidding. Like, I'm not even smiling. This is what happened in the movie. Oh, my God. He's so pick- this is, yeah. He is picking. He, he is breaking backs, dude. Oh, so he basically hit the. <laughs> yes. Just- he, he, he kicked a dude through a, a railing. Ladies and gentlemen, if if you're a completist like me and you've seen all these Fast and Furious movies, of course you're going to suspend disbelief. We always talk about that on this show. Suspend disbelief. There's one. It's a difference between suspending disbelief and straining credulity. Wouldn't you say? Yep. You can't be incredulous. Right. So over the course of the last four or five movies, you know, they're becoming more and more distant from reality. You know, Luke Hobbs, he's a giant cartoon character. You kind of, even though it's bullshit and given the rock size, you believe he's doing all this, all this ridiculous shit. Dominic Toretto is a regular sized dude. I don't give a shit how big Vin Diesel makes his boots to make him seem like he's 10 feet fucking tall because we know he's not. I don't care how deep he wants to make his fucking voice. Dominic Toretto is no longer a tough guy. He was a tough guy in the first movie. Yeah. Because you bought into him being a legit badass without him uttering a single line of dialogue. You don't even see his face. Like you see him from behind in the first movie. You just see the back of his head. And you there's, there's an ambiance. There's an aura about this guy. Like this guy is a fucking badass without saying one word of dialogue. And now you don't fucking believe it anymore. You don't believe it. That's the thing. Dom didn't, and I know I'm going kind of like off on a tangent here, but this this goes to the whole Vin Diesel element that we're going to get to. Dominic Toretto doesn't, he didn't need to do all this bullshit that, he, that he's been doing these past few movies. He just, he has superhuman strength all of a fucking sudden. Mm-hmm. He didn't fucking need any of that. He didn't need any of that. But he he is a full-on superhuman in Fast 9. This is the case of Vin Diesel feeling himself. He has his much. head way up his own ass. Yeah. And and that's the thing. It these these movies are it's it's they're crazy and they're fun, but you don't give a shit about the Dominic Toretto character at all. Because you know he's gonna end up winning. You know, even if even if a fight that he has with, you know, certain characters or whatnot, even if it comes down to a draw, you know, eventually he's going to get the upper hand and win. Yeah. Now that's like a contractual thing. Yeah. Like you, I have to take no damage in this movie. Right. Or, or at least come down to a draw. I, I yep. can't lose. It's, yep. it, it's the Seagal axiom. I can't lose. Yep. And, but, but if that's the case, then you don't give a shit about Dom. You actually gave a shit about him in the very first movie. Because he was a regular dude, he was a tough guy, but you know he, you know he, he could take a ill like at, at the very end in the fucking wreck and the charge and whatnot. You know his arms fucked up and whatnot. He's yep. in pain. He's bleeding. Brian lets him get away. In Fast Nine, him and Letty swing across a fucking crevasse like fucking Tarzan, and the car hits the side of a cliff. It flips up onto the cliff, rolls over eight more fucking times. How? No. Fuck if I know. 
It's it's a they they uh, there's a there there is a loony Jamal, there is a Looney Tunes sequence in this movie <laughs> where there is a wooden bridge across a canyon. Yeah, I remember seeing that in the trailer. Yeah. Okay, well, the, the Looney Tunes aspect of it is that you have Ludacris, Natalie Emmanuel, Tyrese. They're in a Hummer, and they're on the wooden bridge. Did I mention it was wooden? It's you a did. wooden bridge. So perfect to fit with his acting. That too. But they blow up when in the wooden bridge. <laughs> so, They're still driving on the wooden bridge. Yeah. And they make it across to the other side. But there's one cable, and it's a, it's rope. It's not even legit cable. It's rope. It's still attached. Well, Dom and Letty are still on the other side of the, of the, of the canyon. How are they going to get across? Yeah. So Dom just says, fuck it. I don't know what's going to happen, but... I'm gonna. I'm just gonna do this. I'm gonna drive. I'm gonna hit this post where the rope was hooked up to. It's gonna. It's gonna latch onto the underside of my tire perfectly, and they swing across like fucking Tarzan. Okay, in a in a car, in a Dodge Charger. They hit the side of a cliff. Roll up. Onto land. Yeah, that ain't. Uh, yeah, it's not possible. That's that ain't how physics. It works. isn't. Well, it is in the fast okay. universe. And and they roll over 18 more times and they come to a stop. No airbags deployed. <laughs> no seatbelts are on. And Dom and Lady don't have a fucking scratch. I could I could buy that. Seems uh credible. Maybe there was no engine. <laughs> Maybe there was no engine in the car and Dom just kind of on scooted. On, on, on the sheer will yeah. of family. He just yeah, scooted. Along the way, like Fred Flintstone. Well, with those boots, I, I can see how. There you go. But again. And and it, the airbags can't deploy if there are no airbags. In well, the that's car. true. To, and, when, and you can't buckle a seatbelt if it doesn't exist. Yeah, yeah. right. But, but again, the whole Vin Diesel aspect of it. There is a sequence in this movie where he beats up 30 men. And he's breaking backs. And he, he's doing shit that is fucking impossible. All right, now, let me ask you this. Is is this one of those, you know, sequences where they attack him one at a time? No. Or all at once? They're all jumping on his ass. All I'm right. dead serious. Why are they leaving? Why are they uh, why they even let that get past the the writing stage? Because, if they even did, because but see, at that point, it didn't matter. That was what Vin Diesel wanted, and Vin Diesel get apparently he gets what he wants. Yeah, because there's got to be a moment when you're writing it and you're thinking, "Oh wait, this is dumb." Yeah, this is like this. This shouldn't happen in this movie, right? And at that point, you have to say, "Okay, we're not gonna do this." Like the time it's going to take, you got to assemble actors, crewmen. Yeah, get the set ready, all of that, so we can film this ridiculous scene. That once we put it out there, people are going to realize how much sense it doesn't make. And that's the thing; it, it's so, it's so bizarre. The thing is, Vin he could have got away with the rest of the team and just shut the door behind him. That's yeah. all he had to do. <laughs> yeah. But he, but he, he shuts the door and lets them get away, so he can beat up thirty guys. And break backs and and 
and, and literally throw people like nasty ass laundry across the room. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, and, and while this is all happening, Letty is watching it through the little peephole and she's amazed at, you know, she's either amazed or turned on by Dom's level up. Maybe, maybe both. And for whatever reason, there are chains hanging from the ceiling that you don't see. Big ass chains. Mm-hmm. Dom grabs the chains. And as the other henchmen are, are like rushing to tackle them, and they and they they're pulling on them, yeah. Dom grabs these big ass chains. And he pulls the fucking ceiling down. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. Maybe it was you know, a rickety old building. Maybe it was it was destined to be to be destroyed and was destined to fall down. Who knows? Sometimes you can you know put a put a hole through a you know through a floor without realizing it. You know, substandard materials. Why are you making excuses for Vin Diesel's hey, ego? Trying, run amok, Jamal. I'm trying to apply logic to something you that should have no logic. You you can't. This fucker pulls the ceiling down, and the ceiling comes down, and I guess everybody else dies, and he he falls into the water. Not to mention, none of the debris and ceiling, none of that shit falls on him. Right. And after that happens, he has a flashback of when he was younger. He's in his own flashback, seeing shit that he shouldn't be seeing. It's ri- it's ridiculous. Like like in 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 the one where he imagined how Lady died, and he wasn't even fucking there. Yeah, using his uh, Dom vision, Dom yeah. powers, Dom powers, that, precognitive ability. He used his Dom powers in there. And then Letty jumps in and saves him, which shouldn't have been possible because there still should have been debris and detritus and shit falling out on top of him. But anyway, I'm sorry that I went on a fucking rant. This goes to this. This boils down to Vin Diesel's ego. Yeah. Because he he's giving Justin Lin notes on a script that, like they said, they already thought it was a lock. Apparently. Brian is going to be back in this movie because Vin Diesel had a conversation with Paul Walker's mama and she wants Brian to come back. So we're going to see a very bizarre, like CG Paul Walker in this movie. I I guess like a hologram, like a, no, it's going to be Brian, which is weird because Dom and he named his son, Brian. Yeah. And you have Brian O'Connor. Which is ridiculous because in Fast Nine, also Ben, uh, Ben may as well be still be Ben. Dom, Letty, and Brian are living on this old country farmhouse. The team they come let them know what the what the mission is. Dom doesn't want to go. We don't live that life anymore. Letty leaves, so it's just Dom and little Brian at the house, right? Yeah. Well, Dom is like, well, you know what? I changed my mind. I'm going to leave. I'm going to join the mission. He joins the mission. They don't say what the fuck happened to the kid. <laughs> yeah, because Mia is in Fast 9, right? She is. But Brian isn't. 
Well, Ryan O'Connor is. Well, well, at the very end, but you don't see him. You just see the Nissan Skyline pull up to the Toretto house in Los Angeles. You don't see anybody get out. No, you just see the Skyline, and you know that's Brian's Skyline, right? Okay, but, but, fine. But, but Mia shows up at the beginning of the second act, and she's like, well, you know, little B is, is, in, is in the safest hands he could be with. <laughs> little, little B. Yeah, that's what Dom calls him, little, little B. That's his rifle name. I, I guess. Okay. But, uh, but, but let, uh, Mia's like, well, you know, little B is in the safest, he's with the safest person imaginable. And then Lady says, with Brian. Huh? Wait a minute. So how'd that even happen? Who? Did Dom just leave his kid home? Well, I mean, I guess you have to imagine something, a conversation was had in between scenes. So when, that, when, when Dom left, when Dom left home, little B was in his bed asleep. Well, maybe some, maybe he called somebody as he was on his way to where the well, meetup was. Somebody should have called Child Protective Services on his ass. Well, yeah. But but anyway, I'm sorry. Again, this is Vin Diesel's ego. That's what that's what I think it is. Because we we've had instances in the past where Vin Diesel is kind of like you know he he feels himself a little bit and you know he's up here, everybody else is down here. Him and Dwayne Johnson got into it because of Vin Diesel's work ethic or lack thereof. Yeah. Not you know not being uh, shown up to set on time, not being prepared, and apparently the same thing is happening here, because they're saying that Vin Diesel he he's out of shape, he's showing up to set, not being prepared, doesn't know his lines, and he's late. But he's also a producer in these movies, right? He is. So you think that that gives him a little leeway to kind of skirt the rules a little bit? It, it shouldn't. Yeah, yeah, it should be, be, because. No, this is his franchise. He's also a producer. It's I think it's one thing to be a, a Vin Diesel producer and to be a Tom Cruise producer. Because Mission Impossible is Tom Cruise's franchise. He's produced every single one. But the thing between Tom and Vin Diesel is that Tom is known for having exceptional work ethic. Yeah. You know, he he's on time, he's prepared. You know, and when you're a producer, your job is to make sure that the director has everything he or she needs to, 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 to do their job. You know, make sure that, you know, uh, they're, they're making their days. Be a facilitator, so to speak. Tom has proven to be an exceptional producer from the jump. You know, Ben Diesel is a producer because, I mean, this, he's a star. This is his franchise, but the levels and work ethic are, are totally different. Because you have a guy who is more focused on his ego, yeah, and 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 adding notes last minute to just probably you know bolster his character. All that's going to take precedent over the production as a whole, versus a Tom Cruise producer who is making sure his directors always have everything they need at their disposal, and and he's a hundred percent invested. You know, no no bullshit. Let's you know let's get the work done. You know, quickly safely. And let's put out a great movie. You know, of course, now he's a star. His name is above the title, but he's going to make sure that everybody is elevated. Look at everybody, uh, his Top Gun Maverick cast, how they are heaping praise on, like, you know, he helped train us. He made sure that, you know, that 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 we had everything we needed to make this the best Top Gun movie, which is getting rave reviews, by the way. You don't really hear anybody say that about Vin Diesel. 
that he's not like a, 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 a an onset leader. You know, it's mm-hmm. just it's him just caring more about himself. And I like Vin Diesel. But you know, these Fast and Furious movies, man, I think this should be it. Well, that's what you think. That's what I think. Now, if this one what what was the uh, box office on Fast Fast Nine? Fast Nine, it didn't quite crack eight hundred million worldwide, and given it was it was still in the pandemic, but still, you know, over half a billion dollars. Okay, it's a lot of money, and of course, they were going to have a sequel. Um, but Justin Lin, I feel bad for the guy because he is he is as much uh, as responsible for the success of this franchise as is Vin Diesel. Yeah, yeah, he's directed what four, five, five. Of them? yeah, and a couple of them have made a billion dollars. You know, and it's sad because if you're Universal, who are you going to sign with? Your director, who's tenured, who does a, a pretty good job, all things considering, or your star, who has a ridiculous ego. You're going to side with Vin Diesel, yeah, because people will they'll recognize the name Vin Diesel yep. before they will. Jeremy Lin. I mean, sorry, Justin Lin. Yes. I got my lens got mixed, your lens up. mixed up. Oh, my God. The Lin sanity at getting them it's mixed crazy. up. They're saying Justin Lin is potentially walking away from between 10 and $20 million. Well, he's still a producer, right? He, he is still on board as a producer. But, of course, his director's fee is is, is Oh, yeah. But I got I, respect to the dude. He's like, you know what? I, I'm not going to deal with this. Because if the movie fails, it's I mean, it's essentially going to be on him, you know. And if you're not making your days, you know, anytime you you know production's late, that's money, you know. Productions like this, two hundred million dollars, thousands of dollars a day. And when he said, "You know what? I can't deal with this. I'm going to walk away," they were down for a week, and it, it was reported Universal was losing between six hundred thousand to a million dollars a day in production delays and holdups and whatnot. And they recently uh, replaced Justin Lin with Louis Leterrier, which I think is an interesting choice. He's got a a pretty firm action background, having done Taken, The Incredible Hulk, um, Clash of the Titans. It'll be interesting to see, because I don't think he has a specific style. He's more of a director for hire now. You know? What if they tried to get Rob Cohen back to make it bring it full circle. Well, they say that, you know, because they, they did a pretty extensive search in that short window of time. And they said the studio feared that Vin Diesel would throw his name in the director's hat. <laughs> and can you just imagine yeah. Fast uh-uh. X directed by Vin Diesel? Dom probably would have been picking up, literally picking up cars and throwing them at the Like softballs. Yeah. Would have been well, shit, because he survived an explosion. All kinds survived of a car wreck a couple of times. I want to say he's he, been he survived two head-on collisions yeah. in, in Furious Seven. Head-on collisions. At this point, it it is what it is. It's what it is. I just I just hope that the movie ends up being good. But I hope that Vin Diesel isn't just is isn't going to run over Louis Leterrier. Think that he can just well, you know, he's gonna have carte blanche do whatever the hell he wants. It's like, right. no, I mean you, I mean you're a producer, yes, but you're also you're the leader. You gotta hold yourself accountable, act accordingly. You know what I'm saying? You know, 
behave, do what's right by the production and by your cast and crew. Yeah, and at the end of the day, this is a movie production like like any other. It's you a business. Gotta, you got to get it done. There's a budget to think about. Absolutely. Investors, produ- other producers, whole studio. Dude, all I said the budget for this is already at $300 million. How much of that is going in Vin Diesel's pocket? Well, well $100 million just for star salaries. Yep. Jesus. Yep, there you go. $100 million on salaries alone. Now, what if, what if they had gotten your man John Watts to direct this? And he just recently left a production that he was uh, going to be shepherding. The Fantastic Four. What do you think about that? You know, I, I feel like I'm fine with it. But I also feel like, you know, I would have been curious to see what he would have brought to it, mm-hmm. provided he's directed those the Spider-Man last trilogy. three Spider-Man movies. Yeah. And, and has done a terrific job. But I also don't know if there was anything about his style as a director that really stuck out. I do agree with that. And also, if you bring that same style to Fantastic Four, to something that's it's had two versions already previously. Mm-hmm. So there is a way to, you know, bring something new but you don't want to bring something new that doesn't spark interest. Right. It doesn't have people say, oh, wow, this is what Fantastic Four is going to look like. Right. Because they could put it out and say, okay, people would shrug their shoulders. And with that franchise and with it now being back home, more or less, in Marvel Studios, you need to make it big. You need to make it something special and interesting. Yes. And I don't know if, John Watts could have done that. But I say that with a with an air of skepticism. Yeah. Because I think even Spider-Man No Way Home was I think it was fantastic for yes. what it was. Absolutely. You know? And I think maybe maybe by the time he got to the stir when he could make it this bigger kind of bombastic wild crazy story that it needed to be because it kind of it kind of needed that. But at the same time it's like you with something like Fantastic Four, is a lot to deal with. Four characters that are kind of play with various superpowers. Mm-hmm. What kind of villain do you bring to it? It does, you know. But there's also the space to kind of make it wild and weird. But, it, but then too, you also kind of have to fit it within whatever standard Marvel Studios has to set. Right. Because you know, for a long time, Peyton Reed wanted to do a Fantastic Four movie. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah, set in set in the sixties. But he's currently, you know, he's he's finishing up his Ant-Man trilogy for the studio and, and props to him for that because Quantumania will be out next year, I think. So what if they were to, you know, throw the reins back over to Peyton Reed? Yeah, now, now, I now mean, granted, I mean, I'm pretty sure whatever I, whatever initial ideas he had for the Fantastic Four wouldn't come into play now because and who knows? Because if if they've always been around, then where were they? Do you make it a period piece? Yeah. Do, do you set it back in the 60s? And if you did that, then how would it connect to what we know now as the MCU? Yeah, because everything they do has to have some kind of tangential connection. Yes. You got to see a character from some other some other set of movies so that mm-hmm. you know, okay, yes, this is, this is set in the MCU. Yeah. Which I will say very quickly, Moon Knight on Disney Plus, it it was able to tell that story for this unique character without connecting it to everyone right. or every other thing. 
Uh, there are mentions, like slight mentions of things that have you know been seen in in other Marvel properties. Yeah, but they don't go out of their way to kind of shoehorn in a cameo or kind of force a character in there that doesn't need to be in a you know square peg round hole. Yeah, so they, they let it stand on its own. Yeah, but I part. I enjoyed that 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 whole series. Right, that whole series just just ended this this week yeah. per this recording. Mm-hmm. But I but I will say that that's another one that. It's a property just like Fantastic Four. It's very, it can be very unique and it's very like specific right. in how the characters can be played out. So how do you bring them into the current MCU as, well, let's say, the current timeline if they're choosing to do that, or do you just make it its own separate thing? So who knows, like the specifics in terms of why John Watts decided to leave, and and, and maybe he was like, you know what, I. I need a break. Yeah. Because he did those Spider-Man movies back to back to back. Back to back, yep. And these are massive, expensive productions that have, for the most part, gone pretty smoothly, you know, uh, whether that be due to his direction or, or uh, you know, Kevin Foggy, you know, steering the ship, making sure everything is running smoothly. But maybe he just needed a break and he's like, you know what? I want to just try something else or maybe try something smaller. Or it could be a, a one for you, one for me thing, because they were like, you know, we, we want to continue to work with John you know, uh, in, in the future. So maybe he'll step back and do something smaller because he got to start making smaller movies, yep. like like Clown and, and the excellent Cop Car with with Kevin Bacon. That's a fantastic uh, little movie. Um, and he got the Spider Man job based on the strength of these small movies. So maybe he's like, I want to do a smaller production, you know, something that's not uh, as big of a risk you know, $200 million on the line. And maybe he might come back and do something else. I mean, who knows? But that said, it was a very, you know, it was a, there was no bad blood or anything like that. You know, he's, he's still in the, in the MCU family, you know, you know we'd, we'd welcome him back with open arms in in the future. But that's what I think. Maybe he just needed a break from these big productions. Just do something small, do something he wants to do. Right. Where he's not, you know, kind of, his hands are tied because he has to do something that fits into a certain mold. I still and and the pressure of having a two hundred million dollar production on his shoulder. Yeah, because I still wonder, even with Scott Derrickson leaving uh, Doctor Strange too. Like, what? Where was the communication breakdown as far as That's what a he good question. what he wanted to do, and then what Marvel Studios wanted? Because he wanted to make it a a scary MCU. Movie. That's what that's what was being reported, and especially now, you know, we're on. We're going to see Doctor Strange uh, uh, pretty soon, and and they hired Sam Raimi, which I think I thought was a great hire. Yeah, um, it does make you wonder, you know, where the breakdown was between what Scott Derrickson wanted and what Marvel wanted, because you know once that announcement was made, Scott Derrickson immediately went to work on his horror movie, The Black Phone, which will be coming out this year, which has been getting pretty good reviews. Yeah, and that was uh, supposed to be out last year, right? But due to COVID and all this and that. Uh, but it's a smaller movie, you know, he didn't have this huge conglomerate over his head saying, no, do this, do that, you know, put this scene in so it'll fit with something that we're going to see down the line, no constraints whatsoever. You know, this is his movie. He can do what he wants in a smaller movie, no pressure of it being a big production. Um, but, but again, like with, with, uh, John Watts, there was no bad blood, you know, it just, I guess what they say, the creative differences, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> or like irreconcilable differences. <laughs> but uh, yeah, that's, that's a very good question. And, and we may never know. 
Um, but I am looking forward to seeing what um, what Sam Raimi is going to bring to the table because he definitely has a very distinct style. If you've seen any of his movies, yeah, you know you're watching a Sam Raimi movie. So I'm looking forward to seeing what he's going to do with Doctor Strange, and I think that's a great character for him to tackle too. Yeah, yeah. He's, he's already done Spider Man, and and there are his Raimi flourishes in that trilogy, but but with the Doctor Strange character. He has, he, I think he has more freedom to really be creative with, with some of these scenes and, and um, some of the things that we're going to see in this movie. You know, and I brought this up before. I wonder, okay, so John Watts just left Fantastic Four. Mm-hmm. Justin Lin just left Fast X. Here we go. They should have done the old switcheroo. <laughs> Sorry, right, you direct this one, I'll, I'll direct that other one. Do a little switch, <laughs> as uh, Bilal said in House Party One. Do a uh, do a, a, a like a, a what was it the um, I forgot what they called it, but it was when Bill Paxton and Bill Pullman switched roles because Bill Paxton was going to be the president in Independence Day, and Bill Pullman was going to be in Twister. Yeah, they just switch roles. That's it, and the rest is history. Bill for a bill. That's it. Switch switch bills. Two bills. I think it would have been. A, a good choice. Jeremy, oh my God, there I go again. There you Justin, go, man. Justin Lin, Profile. my apologies to Jeremy Lin. Shame, shame. Justin Lin could have directed a movie about family, a movie that's got sci-fi elements. He's done sci-fi before. That's true. So, hey, why not? John Watts could have gotten in there, directed, you know, a big action movie. He's directed big action movies, you know. Now, then he would have had to deal with Vin Diesel's bullshit. Now, so. now that you mention it, the idea of Justin Lin doing Fantastic Four doesn't sound bad. Hey, I just put it out there. I mean, think about it. He'll be working with Marvel. Now, of course, you know, they have certain things that you, you know, you have to do this and you have to do that. But for the most part, Marvel is a very... That studio runs, I mean, that's a machine that runs very smooth. You know what I'm saying? You don't really have any big production issues. You don't really have any stars with diva-ish behavior. Everybody is basically in lockstep with what the end goal is, and everybody's working to to reach that goal. And Kevin Feige, you know, at, at, with, with him at the helm, you know, making sure everything is running smoothly, Justin Lin wouldn't have to worry about some of the bullshit that he's been putting up with. And and this is only what we know now. Yep. Like, we don't know what he had to deal with on the other movies that he worked on. And then is it a matter of, you know, have things escalated over the course of the years of making these movies? Probably so. I mean, it seems that way. I mean, if you look at what Fast 9 or what I just told you. Yeah. There was clear escalation there. Dom kept getting stronger and more powerful. <laughs> Vin Diesel having more control. Yep. It's that thing. Do you want to be a Vin Diesel producer? Or do you want to be a Tom Cruise producer? It's very interesting. And it'll be interesting to see how both of these movies turn out. I guess I guess they'll both drop in 2023, I'd imagine. Yeah. Um, 20, let's say, uh yeah, yeah, 2023. For uh, for fast uh, fast X, if they don't have any more issues, if if Louis Leterrier doesn't now, decide now, to say au revoir to this movie, can you imagine the shit show yeah. 
if yeah. Lou Terry walks, yeah, who that would not be good. Because see, Vin Diesel already has a reputation now, especially from what from what happened with Fate of the Furious. Now, luckily, they did Fast Nine, and there seemingly were no major production issues. But when you have someone like Dwayne Johnson, who was known for his work ethic and is known for being a joy to work with on set, you know, if you have him talking about you, uh, it kind of says something. Yeah. And now this, it's not looking good for Vin Diesel. And again, I say all this, I. Look, I'm a Vin Diesel fan. I love him in his other movies. I think Riddick is his best role because at least it seems like he's having fun. But with Dom, I don't fucking buy it anymore. I bought it in the first movie. And and maybe Fast and Furious because he was still somewhat a human being in that movie. Yeah. And, And Fast Five, but... He's becoming a fucking no. I think fat no. Fast Five was the one where it was really starting to take that 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 turn towards lunacy. Yes, in terms of of the climax, especially yeah, with the safe. But like him and Rock's fight was pretty good. And let's face it, that was Brazil, and those walls aren't really fit. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like I said, that was the same. Maybe the the buildings in Brazil were. The same material that uh, in, in the favelas. No, in the uh, that Dom was able to tear down. He was able to tear the house down. He yeah, he brought the house brought down. The, brought the house down in Fast Jesus. Nine. Well, yeah, interesting uh, developments. We'll see. We'll see what happens. Let's see what direction these movies take. I I hope. No pun intended. I hope Fast Ten goes smoothly. But if Louis Leterrier walks, it's going to be. Full on shit show for Universal. Yeah. Because who do you get after that? And look, these people listening to us, they don't know who the fuck Louis Leterrier is. They've seen his movies, but they don't know who he is. Not, no, not like we do. We know, we know who he is. Well, maybe they can call up uh, your man Brett Ratner. Ooh, come in no, and- sir. I don't think they want him anywhere <laughs> be, near be that. Be the cleanup be, man. It'll be too much toxic masculinity on that set. <laughs> Yeah. Hey, worst case scenario, they always get Vin Diesel behind the camera. Get my man. Yeah, get your man Vin. Mark Sinclair Vincent. That that's that's what they gotta do. They gotta say it was directed by Mark Sinclair Vincent. There you go. And people say, Who's that? It's Vin Diesel. Yeah. That's his that's his government name. Directed by Mark Vincent. Yep. <laughs> yeah. They're gonna have Justin Lin's name in, in the credits and have to scratch that out. <laughs> Put Louis Leterrier's name up in the credits, scratch that out, and then Mark Vincent. Mark Vincent. A a a film. A film. <laughs> by Mark Vincent. A Mark Vincent film. There you go. You see, you've solved we've solved the problem right now. We've solved the fast X director problem. We'll see. This is what we do on we're like we like so what we're we're not only just spectators. Not only just commentators were problem solvers. We, we solve problems. We're like Mr. Wolf in Pulp Fiction. Yeah. We solve problems. That's it. So we're here for. We're here for you, ladies and gentlemen. We're not just doing this for us. We're here for y'all, too. We come in and say, all right, we got a movie, minus the director. <laughs> Take me to it. That's right. Simple as that. Take charge. Large and in charge. Which apparently is what Ben Diesel thinks he is. He's been coming to set large. Well, you know what it really is. He's fat! 
That's all right, Ben. You got to get get your shit together, brother. Ben Diesel, get your shit together. Waiting for you. <laughs> okay, so yeah, so yeah, this episode we like it. So what? It's been an interesting one. We've kind of covered all the bases. Any final words you'd like to add about this whole thing, Eric? It was a fun show, as always. Uh, I think, you know, uh, once we stop recording, I'm going to show you that fucking scene in Fast 9. And I'm, I'm going to watch you watch it. Okay. And everything I told you really fucking happened. Okay. I'll take your word for it. Brace yourself, brother. I'm going to Fast 10 my seatbelt. You do it. For a shoot. Watch, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I can watch this scene from Fast 9. Okay, so yeah, that's going to do it for this episode of We Like It, So What? Uh, hopefully next time we do a show, we'll have a review of Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness. Yeah, we've been talking about it. Now we yes. got to be about it. That's right. So yeah, be sure to follow us on Instagram and Twitter at We Like It, So What? Keep up with all the latest going on, goings on with the team at We Like It, So What? So I've been Jamal Murphy. I have been Eric Bethel. This has been We Like It, So What? And we will catch you next time.